Welcome back to episode 76. In this episode, I speak with David Khan, who is the head of IKMA North America, or the Israeli Kramaga Association. The head of the IKMA in Israel is Grandmaster Chaim Gideon, who is technically and officially the appropriate lineage from uh, Grandmaster and founder Emil Lechtenfeld. Now, uh, in this episode, we discuss all sorts of things, from approaches to teaching Krav Maga, Kramaga for civilians, military police, teaching philosophies, and some uh, other concepts including and I- ideas including uh, what's going on with the police in the U.S. at the moment and, and use of force. But first, this podcast is brought to you by Urban Tactics Kramaga, turning lambs into lions since 2013. So, a couple ways you can support this podcast and UTKM is, of course, reading our content and continuing listening to us, so thank you. But you can go to utkmblog.com, you can click on Support Us, and the Support Us allows you to either freely make a donation, which we appreciate, or if you want something uh, a little bit more tangible, as humans do, you can always go to www.utkmu.com, and you can check out our curriculum. There's some free content up there, but the curriculum uh, is paid to access, nothing too crazy. Sign up for a month or a year, whatever you like, or a continuous uh, uh, usage of our program. I do not offer rankings online. It is simply meant as a supplement and as a perspective on how I approach Krav Maga. The advanced curriculum, as I discussed actually with David, is not up there yet. Uh, I need to refine it a bit more and then figure out how I want to give access to it appropriately. And, of course, you can go to, uh, still on our blog, utkmblog.com forward slash support us. I have a bunch of Amazon affiliate links, including books and some other products. It's a not comprehensive list. I haven't decided what else to add on that. But if you like the products or books there, you can uh, hit the button there and click on the Amazon affiliate links. Now, if you want to train with Urban Tactics in person uh, when all the COVID shenanigans is done, you can go to urbantacticskm.com and sign up for a free trial class. We are, of course, in Metro Vancouver. Uh, Our teaching location is in Burnaby, British Columbia at this time. So come and check us out if you want to learn from me or my other instructors directly. That's urbantacticskm.com. Of course, check us out on social media, Urban Tactics Krav Maga on Instagram and Urban Tactics Krav Maga on Facebook. And then uh, Urban Tactics KM on Twitter, though just so you know, I don't really use Twitter. So if anyone's ever tried to message me, I am probably not paying attention. It's simply a copy uh, of our other stuff. I use mostly the Facebook and uh, our blog, etc. as a means to communicate and Instagram, I suppose, now that Facebook owns it. So check us out. So back to David Kahn. If you did not know, David is one of the uh, earlier adopters of Krav Maga in North America, not the original. We discussed uh, the three other individuals who, in the podcast, who who originally brought Krav Maga to North America. But uh, David quickly built a relationship with Chaim Gideon and became the official representative in North America. And also, if you peruse Amazon books, you will see... Tons of David's books. He has written, I believe he's on his seventh or eighth book. I think his seventh book is being published and his eighth book is coming out soon. I can't remember exactly. You can check out, though, on his personal website, David Khan Kramaga. That's David, 
K-A-H-N, Kravmaga.com. That's his personal website. You can learn about him and his books. Uh, he's got DVDs and gear, etc., that he's put out over the years. Probably the most published Krav Maga author in English at this point. And you can also check out their training website, IsraeliKrav.com, if you want to train with them in, or in and around New Jersey, New York areas. You can train directly with him. And then he does have a author page on Instagram, David Khan Krav Maga, as well as on Facebook, at David Khan Krav Maga, as well, uh, predominantly to do with some of the videos and the books that he has published over the years. So unfortunately, we did not have uh, the, the normal two to three hours time that uh, I would have loved to have had with him. Uh, he had to go pick up his son, I believe, so we had a bit of limited time. So we kept it relatively on topic uh, today, predominantly Kramaga and use of force. So for those of you who hate me going off on random tangents or political stuff, you are saved in this one. But we will for sure, I will for sure have David on again in the future uh, when we have a little bit more time. So I hope you enjoy this podcast with IKMA North America head, David Kahn. Krav Maga is not just a self-defense system. It is a way of life. Warriors Den is a podcast for Kravists, fighters, martial artists, warriors, politicians, and general citizens. Consider this. The society that separates scholars from its warriors will have its thinking done by cowards and its fighting done by fools. Lucididi. Your host, Jonathan Fader, talks to guests in an open and uncensored format about their fights, their philosophies, and their lives. No topic is taboo, and the conversation may start in one place and end in another. As the quote suggests, you cannot separate the warrior from the politics and the world around them, as a true warrior must be a student in all forms of art and science. Listening to the Warriors Day. Warriors Day, brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga, turning lambs into lions. So I am here with David Khan, head of uh, IKMA North America. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jonathan. Welcome yourself. And I'm yeah. Be yeah. Thank you. It's good to have you. So I, I mean. I could ask a million starting questions, but let's just start with the, the easy one is, how did life bring you to Krav Maga and then ultimately the IKMA? My first experience with Krav Maga floored me, literally. I um, met one of the first Americans to ever train in Krav Maga, uh, Rick Blitzstein, who trained uh, personally with Evie, Emi Lichtenfeld in 1977. And I had come from uh, playing uh, Division um, AA football. And the best self-defense I had at the time was running into somebody full speed in my head. And I've repeated the story, but it's true. And Rick said to me, hey, you know, you look like you'd be interested in this kind of thing. And I had never heard of Krav Maga before. In fact, I had just been to Israel uh, on a technology sourcing trip. And I saw that he was wearing a Krav Maga uh, martial arts T-shirt. And I, um, I said, what is that? He said, that's Israeli, um, you know, hand-to-hand combat. I said, oh, wow, I didn't know there was such a thing. He said, yeah, you got to check it out. And I said, yeah, I would really be interested in that. But I'm a first year law student and I, I'm really sort of a serious student. So I better attend to my studies. Well, one week of uh, law school disabused me of that. It was boring. <laughs> it was horrible. And I didn't know how I was going to get through it. Yeah. So Rick invited me to class. And then he said, hey, why don't you come on up front? And he said, put your arm out. And I should have known better, but I did. And he took me into a Cavalier One, which is wrist lock. 
uh, summarily put me on my tachat, my back, and then put his foot on my throat. And I was extended like that. You know, I should have been embarrassed. And uh, I, I wasn't embarrassed at all. I said, how did he just do that? And I got to learn this. And that's how my introduction to Krav Maga. Yeah. So uh, that, that <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was effective to say the least. Um, and then I, I trained for Rick privately for three years. He was a great instructor to me. Uh, and then he sent me to Israel to uh, Grandmaster Haim Gidon uh, as part of the um, Israeli Krav Maga Association. Um, so I went for a six-week program with, with Haim on my own. Uh, it was an uh, amazing program. I was training um, up to six days a week, uh, early morning to the evening. And it was a good thing that I was still in my early 20s because I couldn't do it again. Oh, yeah, it's tough. You know, it's even, you know I'm not that old, but I, you know, never been an athlete so i can train hard if i absolutely have to but i prefer not to anymore <laughs> but you're a little a few more years on me so i'm sure you feel yeah it's showing <laughs> so then how did you go from that uh, what year was that by the way uh that was uh in 1995 i started training and then um i went to israel uh three years later three years later all right so how do you go from that to being the head of ikma north america well, uh, Haim and I developed a very special relationship, and I really, uh, yeah, I love the man. He, um, to this day, we speak almost weekly on the telephone. He's in Israel. Uh, they're getting over uh, COVID. And I knew that, um, that this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity before I began my professional career in New York, and that I would go to Israel. I wanted to go to the source. You know, if you think um, karate, you think Japan, you think uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you think Brazil, uh, Taekwondo, Korea, well, Krav Maga is Israel. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons we also, uh, in everything that I write or produce, it's called Israeli Krav Maga, because it's from the Israeli Krav Maga Association. Yeah. But it's also, um, you know, the original Krav Maga, and uh, we take good, great pride in that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I find it like, you know, me, I grew up in Vancouver, Canada, and was exposed to uh, Krav Maga from people who aren't even from here originally. And mm -hmm. uh, for new students, particularly in North America, uh, I try to uh, teach my students, but a lot of people just don't care, don't teach it. Is sort of the origins of Krav Maga, the the organizations, and you know po politics and martial arts. A lot of people get just completely overwhelmed by the different organizations. Unfortunately, so. Yeah, and so uh, I'm what I'm actually really interested in is the earlier days, right? When when you came back and started teaching uh, uh, in North America regularly. Well, what were the early days looking like in North America regarding Krav Maga? The, um, the early Krav Maga, it, uh, you know, the, the epicenter of Krav Maga traditionally or uh, historically was Los Angeles because Darren Levine had started expanding it. But there were uh, three, the three horsemen. Darren was one. Another one is Alan Feldman, who recently passed. Um, I've got a, a dedication to him in this next book coming out. And then there was Rick Blitzstein, who I mentioned had introduced me. The uh, three of them had completed the instructor's course in 1981, which was a, um, I think it was about a six week course, similar to what I had to do. Uh, but it was a um, uh, uh, orchestrated by Emi and his top students. So um, the three of them learned Krav Maga and they came back to the US. Uh, Alan Feldman actually had the, um, the first commercial school uh, on Roosevelt Boulevard in, um, in Philadelphia. Um, so there was the Krav Maga Eastern region, uh, there were the Krav Maga Association uh, Central region, and there was the Western region, which was the uh, LA organization. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't well known. Um, I have watched 
its popularity along with everybody else has been involved springboard in the last many years. And um, there are too many organizations to even keep count now. Uh, that to me is not a good thing, yeah. but um, at least it's popular. Um, the reputation was always as brutal. And it, uh, as those who practice and teach it, we, we do obviously um, make it brutally efficient. But um, when you have somebody on television stomping on somebody's head and screaming, this is Krav Maga, that's not a good representation of it. <laughs> I've met a few uh, of those guys. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, we, I know some as well. Um, and, and what happened was it, it became uh, wildly popular. Uh, it became a um, de rigueur to have it in a, in, a, uh, in a school to expand the school's offerings. It was um, exotic, sexy, and it, it ultimately took advantage or um, I don't want to say take advantage, but it, it used the IDF's military prowess and reputation to, to burnish you know, its, uh, its martial capabilities. Um, and when you get down to it, it's a very serious system, uh, but there are elements of it now that have become um, all too commercialized with exercise, you know, as sort of a uh, synonym for Krav Maga. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's not what, not what I do, uh, not what I, what I um, would advocate, but there is that out there now. Oh yeah. No, I, I, you know, the joke uh, is, you know, watered down American Krav Maga. It's, it's very unfortunate that, uh, I, I was, you know, I served in the IDF for a few years and, and I didn't sure. really learn Krav Maga. It's a bit of a myth. You know, you're in the military there. You learn, a, you, it's not, I was infantry. I had 10 lessons. The hardest ones were actually at, uh, um, where was it? Mikhvelon at the Upan. <laughs> they were brutal yeah. to us. And then the actual lessons in Krav Maga in, in Givati were very, nothing new, nothing special, uh, you know, and, and people draw that myth. But what I really learned just from observation, uh, particularly with the, the firearms training, is the methodology of the Israelis, right? And I find, you know, you come to North America, even with Israeli instructors, they don't always know why. They're just doing it and repeating it. And then, right. and then you get a lot of uh, North American copycats who don't really understand, you know, the training methodology, and they're just teaching the techniques. Uh, yeah. So, you know, you, we probably have similar thoughts on that. Anything you want to expand why that is or? Uh, you know, with the military side of Krav Maga, uh, I, I did not have the honor of serving. And, and I, I commend you and all of those who do. I really have profound respect for those who, who have, have served. Um, by necessity, if, if you look at it, it actually goes to my um, training approach that you want to train to the threat. And obviously, let's say if you have 10 hours of training uh, and um, you can devote maybe eight of those to firearms, the room clearing to, um, you know, uh, uh, battlefield tactics, uh, weapon handling, all that. Um, with a modern firearm, it makes sense to do that because the likelihood of getting into a hand-to-hand -hand combat scenario is uh, there, but it's not um, at the forefront of, of most people's concerns. Uh, and I, I believe it's the same thing with the American military. We've done a lot of work, fortunately, with uh, all five branches, uh, tier two, tier even some tier one operators, and um, it's it's about um, finishing somebody very very quickly. Yeah. Um, the military Kramaga that I've been taught uh, is is lethal. It's simply uh, often getting the to the dead side of the rear and uh, separating the atlas from the spine, breaking somebody's neck. Uh, optimum strangulation techniques, uh, crushing the windpipe, or putting yourself in a position where you can take out. A, a secondary weapon, you know, a handgun or a blade, um, to finish your adversary. Um, so it's it's no nonsense. It's about closing. We've got a couple of things that we teach to close, and of course, it's also using uh, the um, 
Rove, the rifle, as a, uh, an impact weapon. Yeah. And uh, I, I've been curious over the years how the Tavor would change the, the Israeli um, long gun techniques. And in, in, a, in a book I did show using a, not a Tavor, but a Hamas weapon, how the shorter length of that weapon uh, has to um, dictate certain, you know, tactics got to change a little bit. Um, so it, it, it's, it's a great question. Um, I think I know that certain military units obviously get more Krav Maga training uh, than others. And uh, I also know because of manpower shortages in the IDF that there are different um, lineages of Krav Maga and different um, strains of it. In other words, if, if uh, I know for a fact that uh, two of Haim Yidun's students were fantastic. These were two brothers and they went to Oketz. Yeah, yeah. They found out their background and they said, hey, um, though you haven't done a formal instructor's course here at uh, Wingate, uh, we know you're some of the best guys out there. Would you train us? And they did. So it, it, it just depends on, on who you get and where you get it. Um, and, and, and I'm not I'm not in any way criticizing the idea of Scrub Maga. It's, it's terrific. Uh, you know, obviously, it's one of the best militaries in the world. Uh, they use great restraint, but it will vary depending on who the instructor is, I believe. Yeah, I think that's that's common to any any organization, too. Uh, you know, to, to answer your Tavor question, I suppose, is uh, I found when I was there, we were in the, the first generation Tavors. I, I just missed the micro Tavors by a little yeah. bit. But the, the original ones, I found them very unbalanced because the back heavy to do mm -hmm. the, the proper blocks versus the AR, AR uh, et cetera. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's that. People don't always think about that when you completely redesign the weapon, it, it changes things. Yeah, and, and, and the way you might have to defend against a, uh, an edge weapon is rather than using the, the, the length of the barrel to, to smash and deflect an incoming weapon arm, uh, you invert it so yeah. that you've got the length of it. And that, you know, obviously has to change things as well. But um, I, yeah, with the Tavor, I, I, I've shot it and, and I have uh, friends, uh, my friend, good friend, Neil, my man, who's, who's yeah. one of the best instructors you'll, you'll ever meet. Uh, he thinks the Tavor is a great weapon, but not for hand-to-hand -hand combat. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a reasonable uh, analysis. Uh, I would, they just made uh, errors uh, pr prohibited in Canada. And I should have uh, grabbed one before because the Tavors are three times the price. They're allowed though, funnily enough. Um, now, funny thing about the military, because I find like people really have a hard time understanding military, Krav Maga versus police versus civilian. And, you know, I always like to tell a story. I had a friend who was, uh, when I was there, uh, he lived on the kibbutz with me and he got into a black ops unit in Israel. I still don't know what the name was. He got into a uh, very high level unit then got a phone call, said, hey, let's go over here. So we're still not really sure. But, you know, what little he could tell me of his training is like physically it would kill me as a human being um but he and he would tell me we'd do krav maga three four hours a week and on all this stuff for months on end and one one day he visited me in vancouver and this is the early days of my school so our students weren't even that technically proficient uh yet and in sparring they technically were doing better than him because in the military guys they're, they're i find they're not the most technically proficient you'd say martial artists or fighters no, uh, no. but they're lethal killing machines <laughs> Yeah, no, their skill set is focused on other things. Um, you know, I, I can tell you that we went out to uh, one of the most advanced training commands to give them uh, some training. I was really, um, I'm sorry, one second, really quite honored to go out uh, there. And uh, we went in with uh, great humility and said to the lead uh, instructor, um, hey, you know, we've got about 14 tactics that we'd like to show you. I'm sorry, I got it. No worries. 
uh, about 14 tactics that we've got to show you. And we're not going to reinvent the wheel. You guys are constantly professionals. Um, and, and, and here they are. And um, one of them that they particularly liked was getting a rifle. They asked us about getting a rifle jammed up against your throat. Uh, point man gets jammed up on the corner or um, it, it's the operator's own rifle or, you know, an adversary's rifle. And uh, we recently showed that to another uh, top law enforcement agency for their um, uh, at a DC. And, and, and they really, they really liked it. So, you know, again, it's, it's a few little simple things that can add to their, um, their repertoire of hand-to-hand -hand combat skills. Um, good minds think alike. The rear naked choke defense that I showed this uh, first group we're talking about, this advanced training command, um, they did almost exactly like it. He wanted to know where we learned this. And this is what Hyam teaches. And they said, wow, we, we, we like this, you know, because again, a good tactical mind, yours, mine, we, we probably think alike. Um, very much the same thing with the Marine Corps, with the McMap program. Uh, we were fortunate enough to go uh, as far as Japan to teach the Marines uh, down to North Carolina and the Quantico, which is the uh, Marine Martial Arts Center of Excellence with my good friend, Ron Jacobs, yeah. who was the lead instructor there. And the Marines are great to work with. Um, and again, you know, McMap and, and military Krav Maga have much in common. Um, uh, a lot of it is very aggressive with the rifle, uh, being able to defend a garrote, uh, you know, knife fighting um, and, and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, you really can't reinvent the wheel. And, and one of the things I, I found really interesting was Krav Maga's evolution, that if you think back, um, the Arab armies had focused on judo as their primary system. Yeah. And I've, I've probed a little bit more and asked some of the old timers about what it was that Emi and, and the IDF, uh, one of them is actually Boaz Abiram, who's, who's a good friend. He was the uh, instructor after Eli Abizar. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know. I had him on a long time ago. Ah, uh, Bo. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he, uh, you know, he explained um, a little bit. And that's why our, our counter throw techniques are so formidable. Hmm. Because, again, it was in response to what the enemy might be learning yeah. and how to, uh, how to counter it, how to thwart it. Now, I also know from my one of my most recent trips to Israel that uh, part of the jihadi manual is to learn Krav Maga. Yeah. In fact, it's on page 28, I'm told. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because they're, they're watching, they're learning. So whenever uh, any of us put out material, it behooves us to self-censor it. Yeah. You know, the show we're just not going to show. Um, I, I know that the my books and everybody else's books, some sort of similar ilk have shown up in, in some bad people's yeah. uh, training camps. Yeah, well, that's that's a valid point. Like I, I COVID forced me to put my content online primarily for my students, but anyone who wants to mm. wants to access it, too. And I haven't put up the advanced curriculum yet. And that was something I was thinking is how do I uh, censor or people? One thing for Canadians is super easy. I just say I want you to get a firearms license. And if you can't get yeah. that, I'm not okay. teaching you because right. um, right. you get the background right. checks and basic stuff. So right. I was thinking, hey, if you want the advanced curriculum, internationally you got to give me like an fbi background check or interpol i like i think that's the only really way you could do it. it's just a pain in the ass <laughs> administratively to it is it's a great way to vet it's a great way to vet people um mm. and that's that's kind of the beauty of, of working with the law enforcement community and uh with, with the military is that you know you're, you're you're dealing with uh people who are um hopefully going to look at this as a professional skill yeah. uh not abuse it and um you know they're 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 serious uh they're serious people who are um, mature in their outlook and, and why they might have to use it. And hopefully they won't use it, but that's, yeah. that's kind of, yeah. yeah, yeah that's the goal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, now we can talk about law enforcement, but that's the whole, whole thing. So let's just, uh, I want to switch to civilian. Sure. Uh, Cause one thing about the military that I find the Israelis completely forget, especially a lot of their instructors is you're working with the top 10% of physically capable people. 
right? And they lose that when they start teaching civilians. So, you know, that took me a while to get my head around. And, and, yeah, and a it's a much point. slower process to teaching civilians, right? Our motto, turning lambs into lions, like I'll take you if you want to put in the time. Well, of course, yeah. most people don't, but we can build you up. So what's your sort of approach to, to teaching a civilian program, which is, is quite different? The, the, yes, and it starts with the goal and the um, end result that for civilians, you know, it really is about running away from conflict if you can do it. Yeah. It's about avoiding it and disengaging. You're not there to win a fight. You're there to survive. Yeah. You, you're not there to pin somebody down, uh, you know, unless it was an active shooter situation or you were um, a uh, uh, civilian intervening, uh, you know, in, in defense of somebody else. And it's certainly not to kill somebody yeah. if you can help it. Um, so from a civilian standpoint, uh, I really emphasize this a great deal in uh, this next book that's coming out. It's about being able to recognize um, the impending signs of danger as, as law enforcement, as military, but to take the necessary measures to, um, to avoid it. Yeah. And, the, and one of the things that, that, uh, well, that does have a, a common thread with military law enforcement and civilian is to be able to deescalate yourself. Mm. Um, so, you know, this is the biggest thing is that once we start uh, and, administering these skill sets and getting people to really get proficient taking out somebody's knee with their heel or um, being able to, uh, uh, you know, chop somebody in, in the, um, in the, uh, in a carotid sheath or the vagus nerve. Yeah. Um, don't do it if you can help. Yeah. And only, only when push comes to shove and you can't avoid or retreat that we then teach them then, you know, to, to use the Krav Maga. But um, like everything else, uh, you know, we, we don't teach chokes to the law enforcement community ever. Uh, other than defending them, um, or if it's a, a lethal force encounter. So when you teach chokes to civilians, you really run the risk of um, uh, of having another civilian kill another person mm. if they hold on too long. Ten, 10 seconds or more uh, is arguably brain damage is setting in, and if you hold it you know, for several minutes, you'll kill them. Yeah. So there, there's certain um, aspects of the training which are um, touched on. They're not necessarily emphasized, but they're emphasized, I shouldn't say emphasized, they emphasize that if you do this, you better be um, damn well um, justified in doing it, and you better be able to back up what you did because uh, there, there may need, there may not be any reason for lethal force when you up the ante. Um, defending against a, 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 a firearm, an edge weapon, assault, you know, an impact weapon, well, that that changes the the end goal too and the scenario uh, or multiple uh, opponents. Um, but to to focus on your question about civilians. Um, uh, you know, it really depends whether you're, you're, you're training, you know, a, a 20, a mid something 20 year old male or a, uh, uh, a mom or a young um, girl going off to college or uh, a senior who, who wants to stay in shape. And, you know, is just thinking about his or her safety, but they're all have something in common. We teach them the same exact tactics. We emphasize the same movements uh, and we work with the people's, you know, shapes, sizes, heights, abilities. Um, one of the, the, the uh, the challenges I sometimes have is, I, for example, I, I taught a class uh, last week, uh, and um, one of the uh, the students is a retired state trooper, but he can't he can't kick; his knees are so bad. Yeah. And we're working on kicks. I said, "Listen, you got to adopt this technique." And I took him aside and showed him the hand techniques against it. And uh, he said, "No, that makes sense. It's because you've got to make it work for your body type and uh, for your capabilities." Um, the mindset, though, of course, is is to 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 prevail. If you have to use your 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 body as a weapon or to defend yourself, you're not going to lose. Yeah. And and, and it's to to escape the situation unmaimed if you can. Yeah, that's uh, teaching a great. I actually find it's 
easier to teach people to be aggressive than it is to teach aggressive people to be not aggressive. Well said. Good, good usually, uh, Yeah, that, that's really well said. There's usually like mental health issues going on or, or, or something like that, which actually brings up, you know, the whole like use of force perspective and self-defense because say in America and even state to state, it's very different or Israel, it's very different or uh, in Canada, it's very different. Uh, it's something I think Israelis sort of have failed to acknowledge when they go globally is they don't really say, hey, what's legally allowed? Like Canada, you can use... Like, hypothetically, you can use lethal force for self-defense, but it's a big, like, if you look at a court case law, it's like you don't really want to be in a case where you've done that because from what I've seen and I've talked to lawyers, it's like literally flip a coin here. If you use lethal force, it's very gray, even for civilians. And, uh, you know, an example I can think of is there was a friend of mine who had a, a troubled friend or whatever, and they were on a bus, and their ex-boyfriend got killed. And the, the case was the ex-boyfriend pulled a knife on someone and a scuffle ensued. And then the guy defending himself uh, ended up stabbing the ex-boyfriend in the temple as they fell. And my understanding of the case was that if the defender had had on his own knife on him at the time, they would have charged him because he would have intent versus he ha actually didn't have a knife on him and he used the other pr and it's like it's a, to americans i might be like what right and i i don't necessarily agree with our stance in self-defense in canada but it, it's something to really consider it it, it, it is yeah no it, and, and again I, i've done more and more legal research over the years and and this again this this book uh it really delves into it the uh, american uh case law yeah. uh for, for civilians, and um, it, it's really in the, in the uh, early 1900s that it becomes more defined about uh, the, le the, the level of force or the level of proportionate counterforce that you can use. Yeah. And um, the American courts are reticent to define it, yeah. but there are parameters in which you, 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 have, to, you have to worry about. And in many states, there's what they call preclusion, yeah. where if you can retreat safely, you have to do it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't apply to the home. Um, but even in the U.S., if I'm teaching a course in New Jersey, I have to think a little differently than I might do it in Pennsylvania, yeah. because many of the, 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 the people who we train with in Pennsylvania are actually carrying concealed. Yeah. So um, it, it, you, you, as you say, you really have to do your, um, your, your, your uh, reconnaissance or your homework about who you're teaching and where you're teaching. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I applaud that insight. Absolutely. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I'm noticing... <laughs> won't get too political because we have a short time, but the, the increased number of uh, constitutional carry states in the, is going up due to politics. And, and gun stuff is very known in the Krav Maga world. You know, people who don't know very better are like, oh, gun stuff. Now, I don't yeah. teach the gun stuff to beginners because I think it's a little delusional. Uh, I think you need to have your basic combat skills because what's good disarming a gun if you can't punch and you can't move and you can't use it? Uh, what are your thoughts on the, the firearms uh, aspect of Krav Maga for, for civilians? Well, that is a super question because um, I've often said, and I, I think you'd agree, there's certainly more leeway in defending an open-handed attack. You know, and if you look at the American statistics, aggravated assaults, 40% of the time it's with an um, uh, unarmed type of thing. And, I, and I've, I've done the FBI research, and these are, these are 2018. And when you look at the aggravated assaults, I'm just looking at right now, 25% of the time is, um, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, what we're looking at are firearms are 26% um, of the time and personal weapons are 25% of the time. The, the 40 
plus percent of the time is actually robberies. So when you look at the, the these numbers, um, you train to the threat. But what I often lament is that um, you'll see firearm disarms taught, and there's no second chance at that because you know that round's coming out. It's just you know it, it makes sense for anybody teaching it to tell the students uh, because of the trigger flex response that if that um, gunman's fingers on the tri trigger, uh, especially handgun, um, you know he's that trigger that bullet's coming out. Yeah. So it's not just the defender safety, it's third party safety. But what I find interesting is that so many people teach the takeaways and they don't teach the mechanics of the weapon. That if you're actually going to take it away and then redirect it and point it at the uh, erstwhile assailant, they don't uh, you know, tap it, rack it, make sure that that gun's in battery. Uh, oftentimes these videos, who people don't know any better, will just take the weapon away and then redirect and point it and assume they've got a functional weapon. Yeah. And the pros know differently. Uh, I give my friend near my man a great deal of uh, credit because in my early days, um, he worked extensively with me on my firearms knowledge and capabilities. He's, and, he's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was particularly um, interested in his doing so because I wanted to, to learn the Israeli method. No. In other words, I didn't want an American method, uh, as some of the teachers over here have done, and try to embed it in Krav Maga because it, there are different things that we use, you know, obviously racking the weapon, slingshotting it into somebody's face and other other things which I'm, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with um f funny thing is about that is uh, i had the opportunity i was training up in um harrisburg pennsylvania where israel military industries has their um american um headquarters and their office so my, my good friend uh Pudi carson who's a, who's a police officer said let's go over to imi i said sure let's go but he was great because he said hey uh, it's officer al Pudi carson here we're here to come look at your collection <laughs> and they let us in but what, what we ended up the second time visiting them and I was asking the American um, firearms instructor for some of their weaponry, you know, what method he preferred, you know, the slingshot method that the Israelis sometimes use or the, the top of the rack. And he actually changed his thinking in the slingshot method. Now, talking about uh, racking is like talking about religion. I'd rather, you know, leave it to the person to decide what to do, sort of like cuffing for that matter. But, um, you know, if you're going to teach um, firearm disarms, you really got to have a qualified instructor who knows weaponry. Yeah. That's one of the records. That's where the Israeli instructors come out of the army, uh, police. They, they definitely have the back when I was to um, most American police personnel and um, uh, military. But with firearms, you really need to understand the inner workings of, 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 of at least the rudimentary inner workings of a firearm and tactics to teach it. If yeah. that makes sense. No, it makes total sense. Uh, one thing I, I, I don't like intentionally do this, but uh, I always use airsoft pistols for the um for disarms if i'm allowed to legally and mm -hmm. and often what happens with disarms is the magazine will fall out and yep. what i find an interesting observation without throwing anyone under the bus but if i'm training with other kramaga instructors and this has happened multiple times and i bring my training uh, airsoft there's a thing that almost always happens if they don't know firearms is that magazine falls out and they panic stop and stare down I'm like, why are you stopping? And it just tells me that a lot of these people come from a traditional martial arts background and they, they don't understand the firearm, st firearm stuff at all. Uh, yeah. Have you run into that? And, and yeah, well, one of, our, one of my, my primary training tools is actually a very well-made um, uh, airsoft. And uh, it looks just like a, a SIG 226. You, you yeah. couldn't tell the difference. In fact, I, one of my, my great uh, students, she's 15 years old. I said, here, carry this because we're doing training outside. And she said, are you, <laughs> I said, better you carry it than I do. Uh, but at the time, I, I was my arm was a sling from the surgery. Um, but my point there is that um, you could be held up with an airsoft, and in the the fight of the moment, if you do 
you know, succeed in disarming him because of the weight and everything else. You may do everything you normally do and then yell at the guy, get back. And then he rushes you, yeah. you know, he knows he's got airsoft. You haven't debilitated him enough to put him out of action. And then he comes back at you. So I said to him, you can't panic. You've got to be able to use that, um, that uh, handgun as an impact weapon, yeah. getting off the and, and integrating it into your combat movements. And you can't just focus on the handgun using it as a, uh, a battering ram because he may be able to defend it. We teach to defend against a handgun being used as an impact weapon as well. Yeah. Um, so when you get into firearms uh, training, it, it, it can't just be sexy for schools to put it out there. Hey, we do what the Israeli commandos do. And I've seen such awful disarms uh, out there. There's, there's a guy that just put out a book. Uh, I, I, I took photographs of him just to get people's feedback. Uh, he, he was threatening me and I just said, cause he's holding um, a firearm pinned right to his head. Oh. In other words, he's done the technique and he claims to be an expert, you know, a fourth degree black belt or whatever he's claiming. And this is not about ego and it's not about rivalry or anything like that. You can't teach techniques and tactics which will get people killed. Yeah. And that, that's where I really draw the line. I'm not saying I'm the best. I'm not saying I'm any better than anybody else, but you got to know um, what, the human body does in conflict, time and motion, and how firearms function, and it, yeah. it's just crucial. Um, so I, I'm, 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 uh, I'm sitting on my soapbox right now, but that's what you, I believe you got to do. Same thing with an edge weapon. Yeah. No, I, um, I think that's if you're too technique focused in any system, right? You're seeing in the rise in Brazilian jiu-jitsu is the principle-based uh, first principle. Near teaches like that too. He actually opened my eyes just because I was so used to the Israeli one, one, two drill, and I was, yeah, I didn't understand yeah. and. The, for me, the first principle of any self-defense, forget Krav Maga, is critical thinking, right? And, you know, with new students, I know most of them aren't sticking around. So I actually spend half my time, like, telling them tactics and how to think. And, and one thing I teach, it's probably a little bit different. Because there's, so someone comes to mug you, knife, gun, whatever. And, and I see a lot of instructors, Krav Maga and Nock, say, just give them what they want. Now, what are your thoughts on that situation before I say what I think? just give them what they want. Well, th that's why I, I, I decidedly have fewer students than I otherwise might. <laughs> because it's not that I give them what I want. It's not that I don't give them what they don't want. I, I hear the curriculum because I know this is the way it's got to be done from, from Chaim and, and the association. Um, I can also distill it down to, to, to belt advancements that people want to get high rank and they want to do it soon. It's immediate gratification. And if you don't know the basics, at least the way I've been taught, if you don't know the basic movements to balance the body positioning, the combatives, you can't possibly master the advanced tactics. Yeah. So in some sense, we had got to, as a business, uh, cater to people's interests and their needs, but not at the expense of teaching lousy tactics or um, you know, focusing on ridiculous scenarios, somebody swinging from a, a rope with a gun shooting at you, uh, you know, things like that. Um, so, uh, if you cater to what people want, a lot of it's going to be exercise and feeling good, which is, which is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Um, but you will have to sacrifice quality. You can't do both. And uh, I really try to focus on our quality over, over quantity. Uh, but there's got to be a balancing act. But the bottom line is, is that you better teach stuff that's effective, whether you're emphasizing an hours class, you're doing 40 minutes of calisthenics or push-ups and sit-ups. With the actual problem that you teach, it better be good. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. A uh, couple things there. Well, so I'll finish what my thoughts on that situation are is it's, it depends. And if you don't teach, I think if anyone doesn't teach their students, hey, like you need to be paying attention to how they're acting. 
because I think a lot of people are very naive to violence and like, oh, if you give them what they want, they'll leave you alone. I'm like, well, where are you? I'm sorry. I, I may I may misunderstand. Compliance. Oh, OK. Yeah. 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 Oh, no. Give them what they want. No. Uh, compliance is the better part of valor for sure. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I can relate that uh, Grandmaster Gidon uh, was uh, held up in uh, in his travels with his wife by uh, three people with knives. Yeah. And um, you won't find a more capable person in the world. But because he was with his wife. Yeah. He, he gave the throwaway money that he kept for just such a purpose. Yeah. So there's there's a tactical thing, right? I have it's very Israeli. I have my money and I have the robbing money. <laughs> you know, and, and and I do it too. You know, same thing. Bad credit cards, the whole thing. You carry one wallet that's close to you, and you carry your other throwaway wallet. And uh, the thing is, they better have something in it to satisfy them, because otherwise, um, I, I'd actually again, and I've got a book number eight, which I'm writing right now, which is dealing with um, mugging situations. And it's about a 50 50 split in the studies, whether somebody will come up to you and um, ask you to give away your valuables to that person. And the other 50 percent doesn't trust you to give everything up. Mm. So he or she will pull through your pockets your your your, your bags and oftentimes that's done with an accomplice to keep you at bay yeah. but um uh as far as giving it up you know when i think about Hyam, if he'd been with the sons those guys with knives may not be around today yeah but so the, the situation dictates it but the the ultimate thing is just like um de-escalation uh self-de-escalation you got to come to terms with it beforehand yeah. that if you're at gunpoint give it to them yeah um, one, one of our students, uh, Anuj, uh, had, um, was in Mexico city and near and I had just worked with him. Uh, and a few months later he was held up at gunpoint and mm. he, in, in, in Mexico city and he took away the weapon, hit the guy several times, was so surprised to take the weapon away. He didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. His, um, friends were screaming at him. How could you endanger us? Meantime, the guy's lying on the ground. He said, run. And they took him a while to run. And so he threw it in a dumpster, ran back to his hotel room and wrote to us right away what happened. Um, so my, my, uh, thought is this from my own personal, uh, training, if I recognize a threat right away and I don't have time for that, uh, uh, heart rate skyrocket, you know, I'm still in control. If I, in other words, if I react without thinking, that is the best, um, solution. But if I have time to think about it or, or with my wife or my kids, um, I'd have to bite. I don't want to say bite the bullet cause that's not going to happen, but I'd have to, um, you know, put my tail between my legs and 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 um, sublimate any uh, egotistical issues to to give them the money because that's the way to survive it. Yeah. Um, the issue, of course, is if they want to take you someplace else, that you don't go to the secondary crime scene. Uh, the FBI bears it out that that more than half of all people taken to a secondary crime scene, especially at gunpoint, are killed. Yeah. yeah. So um, the, there are many dynamics at work, and uh, but ultimately, if you if you're in such a bad position where the guy is standing, you know, 10 yards off, he's holding two weapons, hands on the weapon, he's postured, and he knows what he's doing, tells you to throw his wallet, you know, throw your wallet to him. He's trained. You better do what he's asking you to do. He's yeah. a professional. Yeah. Well, I think that's it's a, pretty much the same answer as it depends, really, because where are you? What are you yeah. doing? What do they want? Because, you know, I, I like to remind people, people don't like to talk about, I don't know about you, but a lot of people don't like to talk about culture in self-defense. Uh, yeah. I had a very won't name names, but I did a seminar with a very high, very respected American uh, self-defense expert, not Krav Maga. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I sort of brought this up like, you know, it's hard not to bring up the race. I don't want to make it about race. It's culture more than anything. And then I brought it up. And, you know, of course, they, how could you think like that? And I'm like, well, you know, if I'm you in some, some yeah. countries in Africa, they might just kill me and take it 
take what I want, even if I do it, they won't because it's easier for them. And not picking yeah. on Africa. It could be Mexico City, right? It's North Americans or Americans and Canadians always like, oh, the resort towns. I'm like, go to Mexico City. See, see what happens, see what right? Yeah. It's very different. It, it, it's so such another um, important issue to bring up because it is societal. I, I have a friend, Sean Hobbs, one of my top, top friends, and he's written introduction. Um, grew up on the mean streets of Plainsboro, New Jersey. Uh, amazing story. He's got an amazing book called um, The Bastard Child. And he made it all the way through the Air Force uh, into their special operations, but he'd seen so much violence at his time. And I asked him, because he'd been mugged before, what his opinions were on something. He said, look, uh, you know, I'm African-American, so I'll say it. Black people don't give up their monies easily. Yeah. And, and white people are more of a target because they may be more affluent or, or anything else too. And I don't, my own personal issues or thoughts on race or anything like I don't really care about skin color at all. I just care about behavior. Yeah. In, in, in a way I respect people, you know, it's just, it's, there's all of this in the U S right now. Um, and there's no doubt some truth in it. Uh, and I'm, I'm working on police reform, but it's, it's people's behavior that, um, dictates my 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 reactions and 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 um you know what i might do but you're so right if you were in a uh, in africa or in um in, in grand cayman where I've, I've done extensive teaching they'll mug you with a machete yeah you know and 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 the other point is is that if somebody comes so close and puts a knife up to your neck this or this you think they practice that regularly with a live human they could very easily cut your jugular yeah. you know or, or uh, so it really um like everything else in self-defense is, is uh, situationally dependent on, on what your immediate assessment is. And, and you got to go from there. Uh, yeah. Repeating what. Yeah. So you, you did talk about police reform. I think it's an interesting topic. Uh, obviously <laughs> the politics of America right now, which are spilling over into all the other Western nations. And, sure. uh, you know, one thing is consistent. Police need more training and also civilian overviewers know nothing about use of force. Um, you said it. So it's, yep. it's, it's a mix and politicians will just do whatever the hell they feel will get them elected, which yep. obviously it creates a nightmare. So w what are your thoughts on, on what's going on? Because you mentioned police reform and, and how. To yeah, you know, there, there are so many issues that are, are, are floating around and it has much to do with the training. And um, the problem is that there's so many people who are dictating law and legislation and they have no idea, as you just pointed out how difficult it is to put somebody under control who's passively resisting, let alone actively resisting. Um, I just pulled up a, a proposal that, you know, our message moving forward is that policing cannot, cannot equal unwarranted uh, excessive or deadly force. Um, there's no reason for an officer to punch somebody in the head to get him or her to comply. And there's no reason that so many people are shot um, who are unarmed, but for a lack of, of hands-on training. And, and it is a, um, a default mechanism. And uh, I'm not saying I wouldn't, I wouldn't fall prey to some of this stuff too if I were in that position, you or anybody else. Um, but the, the simple fact is that um, the average police cadet gets about 60 hours of training in the academy, including de-escalation methods. So 60 hours out of a six month course is not an overwhelming amount. In fact, it's not enough. And, um, they, they, they've got to be able to, um, you know, to, to, to do a better job, including a uniform curriculum. And, you know, the bottom line is, is that we call this their um, de-escalation education and communication, it, you know, and it, it, it's that all Americans, everybody in the world, any citizen by a police force should be treated with uh, decency and respect, uh, presented choices rather than threats, 
and asked rather than being told to do something. In other words, asking them politely or firmly to do something. And if they don't, you have to explain why they're being asked to do something and what the consequences of not doing it are. Yeah. You know, laying it out there that, uh, and this is all assuming that it's a lawful order, yeah. that the police officer is is lawfully commanding them to do something. So, um, but as far as the the, the hands-on training, um, jujitsu is very popular. It's very good. I'm a big fan of jujitsu. Um, our police training focuses on doing a few things really well. They have um, other force options, including multiple officers responding. Uh, I think that um, Taser is a, is a very good uh, invention. I, I believe that uh, hands-on training is more important for my own reasons and not because I think that, that the Taser has done us out of any, any opportunity to promote training. Um, and uh, ultimately, policing just can't be a beatdown. You know, if you have three or four officers working against somebody who is not armed, you've got to get them out of the car, they're going to prevail over time. You have to have patience. Because yeah. that kind of impatience and, um, you know, resistance and, and it gets people's dander up. And that's all part of that, uh, being able to calm oneself uh, under, under a difficult situation. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I've been thinking about this. You know, everyone's got their opinion. But I was watching the video of that woman who thought she had the taser officer and shot him with her gun, which to me yeah. right away is it's one, she did an automated reaction and she didn't really understand her training's not there. But for me, it's like that guy jumped in his car and was trying to get away and and they all just sort of jumped on him. Now, I was just thinking about it. I was like, perhaps in some aspects training, obviously, we all agree that they need the training because they don't not getting it. But it's the how to handle situations. And I think about what's going on in Canada. So when I was in high school, I'm pretty sure I know who the officer was because I think he was my school liaison officer uh, yeah. during a high speed pursuit. He crashed into someone's house, the cop. And mm -hmm. after that, the policy was don't chase people anymore. And you don't have as many violent encounters. Poss and I'm thinking that there, I don't know the specifics, but I believe it's because, hey, we got their license plate. We probably have some sort of ability to track them. And, and the stance here is if we got that, don't chase them. We'll, we'll that, hunt them down later. That's, that, that, that is the overriding uh, position of most American police departments now. They can only shoot into a vehicle under the strictest of circumstances. The NYPD was a forerunner in that kind of uh, tactical change. But, you know, if I can, let me bring you back to the uh, Dante Wright shooting that we talked about. The, it, it was a terrible uh, outcome. Uh, the, the man should not have been shot, but it began actually with the cuffing. Yeah. That officer who was asking him to put the cuffs on, police know, we all know that, uh, I say we, I'm not a police officer, but those who train understand that resistance often is is uh, ignited when they see a handcuff the handcuffs coming out of that first bracelet is put on so if you watch the video the reason he was able to um escape the police officers the police officer did not put him out of position of disadvantage to cuff him mm -hmm. in other words there was a mistake made the, the the keys were still in the ignition the door was still open they didn't move more far enough away from the vehicle and so that was the first mistake and um, again, it's, it's, there was no intent to make a mistake or anything like that, but that's where um, we know the resistance begins and that's where it's got to end as soon as those cuffs are put on. And one of the most important things for any kind of restraint uh, for, for policing or, or, or other units, military understands this very well, is uh, getting that, those um, zip ties on or those cuffs immediately mm -hmm. so that you, you can dominate the situation. You, you know from your training about the word dominate, dominate here, like I've heard quite a bit. But it's true, not dominating in a way that you're beating somebody down or causing excessive pain or anything like that. But you got to put an end to the resistance. Yeah. You got to 
And that, that's another form of de-escalation, which very few people would define it. You know, de-escalation is you out of it. But also de-escalating is putting on an overwhelming um, tactical display that they realize that resistance is, is, is no longer available. Yeah, that reminds me of the uh, the Atlanta one, the Wendy's Atlanta one, where they clearly had him in a control, you know, obviously not. It's like, dude, yeah. if you just taken six months of BJJ or something, that wouldn't have happened, right? Yeah, I, 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 my personal opinion is I don't think that was, I think that was an unjustified shooting hmm. yeah. uh, for several reasons. Uh, but one of them is that the police officer knows how many charges that taser has. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, both, both of them, after the second one had gone past them, the guy had discharged it. Um, but, you know, again, it, it's, it's commanding the situation and getting that situation under control immediately because it's far easier to get out of, get out of a, um, uh, a situation where you're getting held down or, or cuffed um, than actually a, a lot, or providing the mechanisms for police to actually contain somebody within uh, objectively reasonable force parameters. In other words, I, I don't believe anybody ought to be getting punched in the, uh, in the head, the neck, uh, the kidneys, uh, when one or two, three, four officers have them on the ground. There's, there's, there's no reason for it unless that person is um, resisting to the point where it could be considered a deadly uh, encounter for the officer, you know, weapon retention included. Yeah, that, that's, it's, you know, it's always about the perspective because everyone has a different stance of what's acceptable force and what's, and what's not sure. acceptable. For me personally, if you're, if you're trained, of course, neon neck is fine personally as long as you're doing it in the way to need. And I find as a smaller individual who's not physically gifted, I need to be, you know, really dominant in controlling their, yeah. their body positioning. And so sometimes for me it, and a lot of my students, even it requires pinning the, the head and neck to the side and controlling them. Of course, you don't stay there for extended amount of time if you don't have to. Um, yeah. But obviously with the recent cases in, in America, they just we, they don't even want to touch the neck. And my perspective yeah. is if you have the training, because you ask Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys, like I think as a purple belt, like I'm a purple belt, at, that's at the point you should know if you need to let go or not. That's how good your training needs to be if you're yeah. using any kind of neck technique. But I'm seeing in the States and ev in Canada, no, no, you're not allowed ever, right? And yeah, I, I don't, I'm not, I, to be honest, I've never been a fan of putting the knee on the neck, um, period, because of the level of training that I've received. Um, I, I look at it as the uh, legal eggshell theory. You um you take the victim as you find them, and there's just too many ways to um to to create uh, permanent damage, uh, including uh, death, when you target the neck and the spine, which again is why on the military side that's exactly what we do. Yeah. And and, and I, I got I'm bringing that up. I may be doing a national uh, television interview, and so I, I'm going to be very clear that um we teach the military exactly to do what we're teaching the law enforcement not to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's policy. So, <laughs> it, well, yeah, it, it's just the, you know, the the rules of engagement versus, you know, um, objectively reasonable force. Um, but, you know, again, uh, in, a, in, a, in a deadly encounter, if, if you have a smaller woman who's being attacked, you know, with a knife overhead, um, it absolutely behooves her to, to strike him in, in, in the windpipe, to try to destroy that cartilage. Yeah. Uh, you know, so again, it, it, it depends on, on, on the threat. Uh, deadly force, there are no rules but one, as we all know, survive it. Yeah. Yeah, the one of the fundamentals of conflict for us, Krav Maga. Now, uh, de-escalation, uh, we talked about that, and, and controlling the internal. Like, I, I am not an expert, but I did a degree in psychology, so I often integrate that into, before I left, because of wokeism in university, but <laughs> um, 
I I actually ad adopted the Jeff Cooper color code, mental color code into my Yeah, no, it's very helpful. And I'm actually, I'm releasing a new blog series on how you can use that as a simple concept, both in your personal and self-defense in being, sure. you know, in mm -hmm. the civilian world being taught it's uh, mindfulness now. And I, I, it's a loaded word because there's so much woo-woo and, 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 you know, nonsense out there with mindfulness. But I'm like, hey, I can take that color code and just say, are you aware of your nervous system and me mental state right now? Um, and that really ties into the ability to de-escalate de if you're someone who, whose nervous system's always in, say, red, even if you're not actually fighting. Uh, sure. It's going to be harder to de-escalate. And you were saying that's something you're really breaking down. In, in yeah. And, and I'm going to get I'm going to ask the publisher to send you a, a copy of this this book and maybe we'll, we'll be able to speak about it uh, you know, again if you're interested. Um, so much of it is understanding your own triggers. What what will set you off? What are your um, what is your, your proverbial uh, red line in the sand? And when is that crossed? Some people, they'll be able to push it back and push it back and push it back. Other people, the minute that person sets the toe over it, are going to go ballistic. And so if you understand your triggers, you'll be able to um, deal with it a little bit better. And um, the biggest thing that I, I've done a bunch of reading as I can, uh, some great authors, but it's called uh, affect labeling. And, you know, I'm getting angry now. You're recognizing what the emotions are. And you have to do this instantaneously. So why am I getting angry? Well, that guy just gave me the finger. Who does he think he is? Doesn't he know I could break his finger so that it would never work again, you know, <laughs> in such a way? But again, that that goes back to then thinking beyond the um, immediate gratification of putting somebody in his place or a beatdown, which in the end, bullies really don't don't learn from. Um, towards the legal liability, you know, um, you as a, as a uh, IDF soldier and you know running a blog on self defense, I've got books out there. Yeah. It is not worth it because you are going to get in such legal jeopardy both. Uh, civilly and 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 uh, criminally everything you've worked for everything you've attained could be taken away like that then how are you going to feel when somebody takes away your house because you you know have um, uh, destroyed his knee in, in such a way that he's not going to walk the same way again yeah uh, so that that all factors into being able to explain what you did and why you did it which also goes back to your perceived level of threat and one of the things that I think about more and more is if I had to use this, we prepare students, you know, and part of that is your training is going to be used against you. Well, I'd rather uh, flip that dynamic and I want the training to actually be in your favor to be able to explain, hey, um, your honor or, you know, whomever to a police officer or opposing counsel. Um, from my training experience, I understand and recognize what are normal movements that so-and-so was supposed to be doing versus attack movements, which you can clearly see on video by his forward lean. He's gripping his 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 hands in such a way that he's 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 moving towards me. You can see the the vasoconstriction. You can see his neck bulging. You can see, um, uh, you know, all of these um, uh, tell signs. You know, these uh, um, I'm forgetting the word I use, uh, but they're um, uh, preceptors to, to what's going to happen. So. Um, Again, I, I, I digress, but I, I come back to the, uh, uh, the issue about, um, you know, the color coding and, and being able to look at a situation where you know that um, this is something that's going to piss you off. You've been there, you've done that. But if you success, successfully negotiated it once, that's the key. If you can do it once, you can do it again. Yeah. Um, the one thing that may set me off, and I really try to not think about it, is I'm Jewish. And um, any kind of anti-Semitism, uh, particularly, um, you know, glorifying uh, the Holocaust or, 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 or Nazis or Hitler didn't do his job or anything like that, 
I, I really need to be careful because that, that is a, uh, I see red mm. and um, I, I've got to be able to uh, uh, contain that kind of rage. And, and of course, the difference between anger and rage is my simple understanding of it is that rage, you can sort of still deal, deal with somebody. You can talk yourself off the edge. Uh, I would say anger, you can, you can deal with somebody and um, talk yourself off the edge, whereas rage, uh, the decision for violence is is 99% there has already been made. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can relate to that. I, you know, I've write, written about it, dealing with just a variety of mental health issues. You know, nothing significant, but it's like yeah. dealing with that, you know, the angry teenager, right? I've never got into any trouble or anything. It's just as I'm learning psychology and growing and teaching and you start to realize like, oh, I need to 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 recognize the mental, mental aspect of this and I'll... Krav Maga is really well known for its aggression. Obviously, it's an important part of Krav Maga. You know, when you need to be violent, you have to. Um, I find, again, the Israeli factors. I don't know what your, your uh, experience is. It's aggression, aggression at the expense of technique. Yeah, they, they just struggle when you start talking. I had one very well known, uh, very aggressive Israeli instructor. He's like, oh, that's all gimmicky and bullshit. And I'm like, or is it you don't understand it? Um, you know, that, that was specific to that individual. I have another instructor, uh, Amit, uh, Himmelstein, who's wonderful, um, still very aggressive how he teaches, but he's, you know, he'll remind you guys, this isn't the seventies Krav Maga anymore. Everyone's got cameras, right? So I, it's ha you being one of the, you know, foremost, uh, individuals in North America, it's like, how do we reframe what Krav Maga is for modern times, realizing that yes, there's aggression's a huge part, but we also really need like, cause people still don't get it anymore that we need to adapt as we go, which is a core, core thing of Krav Maga anyway. So. Yeah. When you couple sound tactics that work against concerted resistance with aggression, you've got a, a very formidable individual. Yeah. Uh, one of the, the issues too, is that um, so much of Krav Maga, um, has got to be uh, grounded in reality, all of it. In other words, um, it's got to work against concerted resistance. It's got to work against somebody who's going to give you a, uh, could give you a professional boxing combination with the hands uh, acting like pistons, you know, an MMA type, you know, to take you down and smash your head in the ground or a um, trained fighter with a knife, which is a nightmare. Yeah. Who understands, you know, the eight, eight uh, stab and, and slash patterns. Like it's, you know, it's his first nature to do so. Yeah. And so, um, it can't aggression is 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 instrumental to the training it's got to be uh, interwoven to it but not not at the expense of just saying that superior aggression will defeat any kind of attack because this is not true yeah not true yeah. well and also you know i often ask sometimes i'm like how many of you have just trained or played with a professional fighter and i and you know most people are like no i'm like you have no idea what a trained individual. I know tons of MMA fighters, and and even if I pull, you know, go for the eye, go for the throat, if I don't don't pull it off immediately and get out, and they realize, oh, we're we're doing this, I'm in big trouble. And I think a lot of Krama guy guys just don't want to accept that reality. Uh, such a you know such a well said uh, uh, observation again. Uh, with professional fighters, they don't mind. It's not that they don't even mind getting hit; they like getting hit. Yeah. <laughs> It's something that's, you know, and, and those who fight, we understand it a little bit. Um, you have got to disable him. You've got to break down his structure that he can't move. And that's that's the bottom line. And uh, keeping in mind that if you do go for an eye, you do go for a, th a throat strike, he can do the same thing if he flips it. Because maybe they're still in the mindset that this is a, um, there's some rules that apply to this, even if it's a street fight. 
But the minute you throw out uh, the Hakokim, you're going to go into such a life and death struggle that you better get it right. And that's where obviously aggression and intent yeah. is so important. And I don't want to mistake that I'm, I'm criticizing aggression. You have to have the superior intent mm-hmm. in any kind of self-defense, any kind of fight. Your intent has got to be every bit the level of his and then, and then more so coupled with practical um, debilitating tactics. Yeah. So well, well-rounded uh, program, I suppose. Yeah. It's very much, yeah. I think we agree on that is I, I, you know, I sort of start basic stuff. Hey, kick, kick, move, but more importantly, think, cause I know most people aren't going to put in the time. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I start teaching them how to control and, and, and grapple as needed. And, and in case you need to, you can't run right away. And then I start teaching the police and military tactics for those who sure. actually want to mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, actually want to stick around. Cause for me, you should, I mean, should be good. Krav Maga program is uh you should be able to at least have a general idea how to deal with sort of any, any situation. Yeah. 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 And that, that's, that's important with the training level. Um, you know, it, 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 the way I'd understood it in Israel is the second belt level is an orange belt. And with high M students, those guys are just amazing. And the idea is that you ought to be able to, to um, contend or to thwart any kind of unarmed attack at the, at the, the second belt level, you know, it, again, it, looking at the typical attacks. Um, so uh, yeah, you have to expect the unexpected. And um, we, we, we've got to approach it that way. Um, you know, again, just doing a, a few things really well. Um, in my experience, too, the, the, the curriculum is, that I've got is very expansive. Haim has done some amazing improvements over the years, but it really boils down to a family of movements and combatives. And if you learn to do those uh, from, from the beginning of your training and to understand, you know, a few key concepts, um, we, we were really able to, to, to get people uh, competent and confident in their skill set. And, you know, to go back to one other thing you said about principles, um, the principles are really important, but you can't, one can't just say that, that, oh, the system is made up of principles. No, there are actually some real tactics that you need to learn. Uh, you know, for example, how to L parry, how, how that rotation works, not too close to your body, not too far away, but, you know, how you're going to deflect an incoming stab when the guy's going to try to stab you, you know, probably 10 more times with that knife. Yeah. Um, how you're going to deal with, uh, again, time and motion, the guy pulls a gun at you and you start to telegraph, you're going to try to disarm, he's going to retract it while probably pulling the trigger. Yeah. So um, what I tell people, um, or I, I suggest to people, especially with all the, the, the videos that I've, I've worked on, and I, I, I sell them through Amazon, I, I try to write people notes for every one they get, is that um, if you don't have um, a great instructor to work with, and even if you do, go to um, the internet, go to YouTube, go wherever, and, and look up some real attacks. Yeah. I said, because the ferocity and the determination of the attacker is going to catch you off guard if you have not been exposed to it. Yeah. And, and I actually will break up our classes. I, I actually use these, these uh, depending on what I'm teaching, I'll um, uh, upload a few videos and I'll actually um, show the class. You know, I, I'm, I'm working them out really hard. They're all huffing and puffing and I take a break for them to digest what they see. And um, I obviously watch the videos ahead of time and I, and I, and I watch the reactions on their faces and most people uh, who are not, um, you know, having grown up um, in, in uh, street situations or law enforcement or military are absolutely dumbfounded and then similarly aghast at what they see. They just can't comprehend the level of violence that they're seeing. Yeah. Especially if in a city like me, Vancouver, it's, uh, you know, anytime anyone says, oh, it's really dangerous here. I'm like, you have no idea how safe it yeah. is here. 
And it's a lot. You can't convince some people here because they've convinced themselves, you know, yeah, even though there is some so. violence here and there and people get killed. It's like, nah, this is a really, really safe, even compared to New Jersey or New York, it's really safe here. Yeah. Well, I'd be, I mean, that's, it's a luxury. It's, it's, it's a great thing, uh, you know, and, 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 and it's wonderful if you don't have to be hood red all the time because you're, you know, you're in your safe environments because you can't do it. You'll, you'll tax yourself. You know, you, you can't remain, you can't maintain that level of alert. And that's one of the reasons, you know, personally, I, I, I lived in New York City for four years. That's where I began my training. But I was always on edge in the subway because I, I worked on a pack line. You know, if you're only if you're always constantly looking over your shoulder and waiting for some kind of suspicious character to walk in front of you, you'll never get anywhere in New York City. Yeah, yeah. Uh, same thing with Penn Station. So I, I, I prefer to avoid crowds. Um, uh, I've done fortunate enough to do some traveling. You know, I, I one time in um, in Rome, I was with a girlfriend and um, uh, she enjoyed shopping for sure. <laughs> bag after bag. And there was a, a motorbike duo that was going to rip her bags. Uh, they were just going to grab them because I could see them revving up. Yeah. And I usually try to stick on the outside of the street, but she had walked outside and I grabbed her and I pushed her, which she didn't quite like. And I, I was prepared to, to kick the guy off the motorcycle and they veered and they went going. So, you know, even, even um, uh, in, in Paris in law school uh, with another, another female friend, um, we had a bunch of kids come up and start fluttering the papers and they were trying to cut her bag yeah. with a razor. And I said, get away. And, 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 I, and I took a very aggressive stance towards them. Um, so, you know, it's a shame that you, you want to be on vacation and everything else, too. And yet you're, you're, you're a target. It's just the way life is. Yeah. Um, but but it can't it can't ruin or or, you know, um, beyond good common sense where you're traveling. You can't you know, you can't you can't uh, uh, inhibit yourself to the point where you're not you're not living. Yeah. Yeah. It's a comment in the safer cities like Vancouver. It's like or. Let's call it a, it's a woke ideology. They're like, well, they shouldn't have attacked you. And I'm like, you're right, but they are. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? And, you know, yeah. trying to make people realize, like, yeah, you want to avoid. Like, I don't like crowds either. You know, I have a love-hate relationship with New York anytime I'm going. I love the food. <laughs> um, I feel I want to punch everyone in, in New York because I'm like, they're so aggressive. And it's just like, oh, my yeah. God, compared to Vancouver. Yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's, an, it's an attitude. And uh you know, I, I, just um, one of the great things about Krav Maga and any other good self-defense is that it teaches bearing and it doesn't mean that you're not going to get into it. I could be wearing a Krav Maga shirt or a hat and somebody may want to challenge me because I'm wearing something like that. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's not that I wear it to, 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 to uh, in fact, I'm, I'm actually careful what I wear these days. Uh, but just, um, uh, you know, you're, you're bearing that you don't want to have that, uh, that victim look and you don't want anybody else to get attacked. But ultimately, if it comes down to your um, dissuading somebody from attacking you and they'll go find somebody else. It's about self-preservation yeah. you know, and yeah. learning it. Yeah, and that, that's a very valid point. I often ask myself, you know, I, I, I have a big mouth. So when I was growing up, you know, I didn't know how to fight. And uh, I never got jumped, even though I, I was very aggressive with some people that I should not have been. And I never got jumped. And the only thing I can think of is I was that kid who they're like, he's not connected. I'm not in a gang. I'm not anything. But they're like, we're, n we're never really sure what he's going to do. And, and, yeah. and, you know, they know I was willing to be violent if needed. And they all knew that, even though, yeah. they, like, we don't think he can fight, but he'll be violent, right? And, and I think that says something is if, you, if you're going to act crazy, you better be able to back it up or else it's, they can read, they read and be like, no, nah, you're faking it, right? And occasionally yeah. I've met people, I'm like, even in, in when I was younger and didn't have the training, it's like, yeah, I'm not going to I'm going to leave now because that person is not only crazier than me, but is capable of greater violence. I'm leaving. And that's that's probably what saved me a few times. 
It's sure. a recognition of, no, 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 they're crazier than me. I'm out. <laughs> right. And I think, you know, places like Vancouver, people are just so naive about what people can and will do that they're like, oh, I'm fine. You know, it, it brings up one of the, the real important points, I, I think, in uh, any kind of self-defense discussion, which is preemption. Yeah. Preemptive self-defense. The, the law is um, clear on it, but it's anything but clear. Yeah. Uh, in in the the last book I wrote, and this one again, I you know I made the uh, analogy that um, Krav Maga is very much the IDF mindset yeah. that Israel is a very small country, you know, the size of New Jersey, and that um, the the Israeli um, command staff understands that you can't absorb punishment. Yeah. You got to take the fight to the enemy, which is Krav Maga, which is being more aggressive and tactically sound to take the fight to him. Yeah. And one of the um, historical um, precedents I brought up was the uh, the 1967 war in this book, where um, you know Israel preempted uh, the uh, buildup or the um, provocations or whatever you want to say the bellicose actions of those Arab countries and destroy their air forces in short order. Yeah. You know the best kind of preemption. Uh, interestingly, there's there's a a book which I'm reading right now which talks about Soviet involvement as an aside and how that might have played into it. But regardless, let's assume that the, the, uh, those nations were going to attack Israel, try to overrun it again. And uh, the IAF um, delivered uh, what is historically maybe the most punishing blow in, in, in military history yeah. to, um, you know, to preempt a larger war. Um, so from a self-defense perspective, you know, if I can articulate why or how I know he's coming at me um, and I can preempt it by whatever tactic I think is most applicable, uh, that's great, but I better be able to justify it because if not, I just attack somebody and I'm going to answer for it. Yeah. So it's really, um, <laughs> it's fraught with peril, but, but has its advantages. Yeah. And you know, I'm very, I emphasize that I'm like, you need to be able to articulate why you did what you do. And you know, depending on where someone is from, they, they you know, if they're from Russia, they're like, why, <laughs> you know, and you have to really, you're in Canada, buddy, you gotta, you don't have to like it. You just have to. <laughs> You, like I uh, was teaching a firearm safety course and a guy from, uh, from some Euro Eastern European country, right? Uh, it's, it's not considered safe in Canada to shoot over top of a hill because you can't see and it would be considered negligible uh, discharge and you could get charged. And this, yeah. this guy is like, what do you mean I can't shoot over the hill? Why, why, what kind of stupid rule is this? And you just like, could not <laughs> convince this guy that you're not allowed to do that in Canada. It's just yeah. it's totally different mentality, right? Yeah. I, I was showing my 12-year-old because I, I said, hey, you want to watch something interesting? Um, we looked up um, soccer hooliganism, yeah. hooligans fighting, and watching the different um, you know, teams and, and the, the pack of, 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 of males going at each other with MMA gloves on, too. I said, you want to watch some brawling for the sake of brawling? What I said to him is, I want you to pay attention to those, um, those uh, combatants who are, are picked off and isolated when three people start beating them, yeah. mercilessly. And, and, and he, he was appalled at that. He said, that's not, that's not fair. I said, that's what I want you to understand. It's yeah. not fair. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, again, uh, violence to most people is a, um, it, it's something that that's can, um, you know, sort of um, cajole fantasy. It could be a worse nightmare. It could be all sorts of things, but no matter what it comes down to, I think it, it's an ugly affair. It's, it's something that is really, when you really think about it. Uh, and as I've gotten older, um, you know, it's well known that the human brain doesn't fully develop, particularly in men, until age 26. My thinking about what I might do to somebody at age 26 versus age 46 is very different. Yeah. For men.
but it's, it's, it's a good thing. Uh, and that's why these young guys who we train, they've got to have good mentors. Uh, cause a lot of guys, you probably experience it too. They want to see if it works. Yeah. I said, it worked. Believe me, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it'll work. So, uh, fortunately, you know, the, the students that we get are, 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 are um, good people. When we go do seminars, when I, when I travel, usually it's, it's good people. Um, and for our school, we actually insist that somebody come in before they sign up. Cause I want to see who it is yeah. and what their motives are. You know, it's, it's, it's only a responsible thing to do. I think. Yeah. I, I usually assess people and if they're off, I'm like, yeah, peace. Now I, I you know, relating what you're saying when they want to see it works, like that's something I have to be very careful of because of my size. You know, I get like, I do not like doing private lessons with guys who are like 190 plus cause it's just not fun for me. Um, no. you know, and I had one student who's, he's a freak athlete, just naturally gifted bigger than me. And I was showing, uh, how to get out of side control from the bottom. And he just decided I'm going to put absolute all my pressure on John. And obviously I can't get out because there's a significant size and strength advantage. Couldn't get my finger in his eye because the way he had pinned him. So I just grabbed his ear and just pulled hard. And he's like, okay, yeah, I deserve that. Because he realized like, hey, man, sometimes it's not about the technique here. I know you, I know you want to assert your dominance, but I will do what I need to do. Exactly. <laughs> can, I, can I give you a laugh? Uh, one of my... Um instructors uh, had the same thing happen in new york and he took any side control he's yeah. uh, back on the ground he took his thumb and went yeah you know where he stuck it yeah and i jumped he said oh, are you yeah. crazy and he got out of it Oil check, <laughs> <I guess. laughs> expecting the unexpected or doing the unexpected um but you're 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 right about that and um, i've had the benefit of working with some of the best nfl players national football league players and that's where Krav Maga has really um, shown its worth to me. Not because I'm trying to fight with them, but you're not going to win yeah. a strength or um, a size or, or, or fast switch uh, muscle fiber battle with these guys. Yeah. They're that good. So you really have to be on literally figuratively on your toes. And, and I, I, I enjoy showing them and how this works. This is a football uh, uh, adaptation, which I've created with my, my partner, Pudi um, uh, Carson. But um there's no substituting technique combined with uh, intent. There's no doubt about it. But it should work for everybody. The, the system's got to be designed. And I'll, I'll maybe I could, um, you know, summarize it this way: the, the Krav Maga that is often taught can be influenced by the size of the person teaching it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's natural. Yeah. The, the the Krav Maga that I espouse to teach, uh, I'm, I'm not that big. I, I'm about five foot eleven, uh, hovering around two hundred pounds. So I'm not big. I'm not small. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, but but the thing is, is that I have to always consider that the uh, Hyam is as strong as they come, but he's about five foot seven, five foot eight. Yeah. He doesn't have the reach of some of the other uh, Krav Maga instructors out there, yeah. and therefore he makes it um, doable for a smaller person against a larger person. Yeah. But there's some big instructors out there who just take for granted their abilities, and they're able to use um, physical dominance to reinforce their techniques and. It works for them. It's a good thing it works for them, but it doesn't work for everybody. So that's kind of something that I always need to take a step back and say, could a hundred pound woman or a smaller man, it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter, man, woman, can a smaller person do this to overcome, to thwart this kind of attack? Yeah. And if a smaller person can't do it, only a larger person can do it. It's not good tactics. Yeah. Well, I 100% agree. I mean, I probably wouldn't have come to that conclusion as well if I wasn't so small because I was seeing... You know, you get these, some of the Israeli instructors are small, but they're just nuts and their willingness to just never, never turn it off. You know, it's why they, 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 the teaching methodology, they assert their dominance early and they get people just 
doing it. I, and, and I think that's fantastic. I fully agree with the mindset, but combine it, yeah. combine it, make it symbiotic with real, real good tactics. And you've got, you know, you got a, you got a, uh, um, a, uh, unbeatable. Yeah. Cause I have, I have certain techniques uh, I'll teach, but it's like, uh, it'll be the last resort. Now, the, for a lot of the smaller people, like they really want to jump to that last resort because it works higher percentage for smaller people. I'm like, hey, shift your mentality, like get good at the initial techniques because those are the ones that are going to prevent you from going to the ground. Right. That's the one that's going right. to get you out faster. I understand you're 100 pounds. You have that backup option if you have to because um, right. physics, you know, I say you can't cheat physics, but you can if you use biology, right? You know, the groin, the eyes, the throat, <laughs> when, right. when it's appropriate to, to get that yeah. mental reset. And, and this, the, I think teaching the strategy aspect is probably one of the hardest things to get in people's yeah, heads. Yeah, right. I've got I've got a three hundred page book on the way to you. Yeah. I'm almost positive we're thinking alike. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, uh, as I said, I, I really uh, I, I appreciate it, and uh, I've got I probably got time for one more question. You got anything on the docket? Sorry, say that again. Yeah, I'm just I'm just looking at the time. I think yeah, I've yeah. Got one more I got time for one more good question. If you got, if you, if you, if you want to hit me up with it. Uh, no, I think we covered a lot. Uh, obviously, yeah. I'm sure we could talk forever. Um, yeah, it's an honor. I really enjoyed our uh, our, our back and forth, and uh, um, you know, it, it really is uh, uh, reassuring in some sense to speak to another like-minded um, professional instructor uh, because I, I'm worried about the, the future of Krav Maga. I really am, and my hope is that all of the um, sort of the fly-by-nights will will just will do exactly that and that the legitimate instructors will be around um i i think that uh um for the um the law body citizenry problem with that is a great great um method and uh you know it's it's, it's uh, you, build, you build a wonderful family wonderful relationships uh and uh just find a good instructor you know yeah. and, you know you're one so your students are lucky i hope so yeah it's good i mean um, really do um, yeah, how can uh, your, when is your new book coming out? Uh, it'll be published uh, June first by YMAA. Um, it'll be on uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble here in the U.S. Uh, and, and available. And uh, it's pretty. I, I'm I'm excited to release this one. We got about 180 photo series dealing with multiple opponents between cars, hallway, um, dealing with uh, uh, road rage. You know, looking about how to how to how to uh, avoid it um some some illegal stuff in the u.s that we're looking at uh but then there's you know strategies against uh, you know footwork uh knife so it's really a uh, um a Kirkus review said it's a it's a very comprehensive uh probably manual which was a uh, which was the goal so i was glad to hear that that's good uh how how can people find you online uh i've got a, a website in the bottom of this website I, which is uh uh www.davidconproblemaga.com and uh, we've also got uh, IsraeliCrab.com. I'll, I'll get any messages that are sent along. And uh, whenever you're in New York, next, you got to come train with me. I'd love to see you. Yeah, well, uh, when when it calms down, COVID and the violence, and then we'll definitely be over there for sure. Oh, well, th thanks for having on, and yeah, send me on the links you need to. And uh, you we'll bet. And I'll get you, I'll get you I'll get your address for the publisher. But collect yeah. uh, to everybody. Thank you for the time. Johnny. Yeah. Have a good day. Listening to the Warriors Day. Warriors Day. Brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga. Turning lambs into lions. <laughs>